0: Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, check out our website at freechapel.org. Turn to your neighbor and say, It's complicated. And turn to your other neighbor and say, It's complicated. You got to pause a little bit and say, It's complicated. It's complicated. Acts 17. Acts 17. One of my favorite passages of Scripture. I think right now, it probably is my favorite passage of scripture right here. Acts 17, verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of Aripogos, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with the inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in the temples made by man, nor serve by human hands as though he needed anything, anything, since he himself gave to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all of the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. I have another sermon I like to preach out of this called Love Where You Live. And it's based off that scripture right there. We need to learn how to love where we live. Why? Because God determined when you would live there and where you would live because he has a destiny and a purpose for that. That's for free. Take notes on it. That's not a part of their sermon. So you're welcome. All right. I'm being nice today. All right, I'm just throwing out nuggets. Uh, he determined the periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. In him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. For we are indeed his offspring. I love that word. It says, in him we live, and move, and have our being. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much. God, we just lift you up tonight. We thank you that tonight is an assignment from you, that your Holy Spirit is here. Your Holy Spirit is wanting to know us and get to know us and heal us and restore us. And uh, we thank you for, 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 for all that you're doing. We pray for safe travels over our group coming back from Georgia and our pastors as they head home. We thank you for what you did at Forward. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. How many of you have a Facebook? How many of you have a Facebook? Raise your hand loud and proud. Don't be ashamed of it. It's okay. Like, unless you're one of those internet trolls and maybe be a little ashamed. But uh, it's funny, when I asked that question in youth, like no one raised their hands, like one kid. And I'm like, oh man, Uh, Facebook, like, got really cool when I was in like seventh grade. And I remember I was like, oh, it's only for college kids. And I remember I made one and I was so excited. And uh, my favorite part about Facebook when I was a kid was the relationship status. Like you guys know what I'm talking about? You have like married, single, divorced, or it's complicated, right? It's complicated. I grew up as a Christian kid. So uh, my parents as pastors didn't let me date ever. Um, even until I got married, they were like, it's, it's a little weird, guys. We're getting healed, all right? Um, but, but they never let me date. So what's interesting is that every relationship or every friendship I had with these girls, my status was, it's complicated, right? Like, we don't have a definition. We're not really, you know, if you have teenagers, they've probably said this, but, oh, we're just talking. Like, like I, you know, like, I, I work with teenagers and so I'm like, oh, is that your girlfriend? No, 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 we're just talking, like, okay, I know what that means. Like, <laughs> like, but, but they, I would always just have my status on Facebook because I wanted to change my status from single. Cause it's like, you know, it just doesn't, you don't have street cred in junior high if it's single. Um, and so I would always put up, it's complicated. It's complicated. I mean, I had this really bad habit as a kid as well. Like if someone would tell me, Hey, I like you, I'd be like, cool, I like you too. I may not have had previous feelings for that person or I've ever thought about having a relationship with them, but I was like, "Ah, that sounds pretty nice. I like you too. And so, you know, we'd be friends, we'd be talking, you know, and and I had the texting where it was like you had to tap the phone a thousand times just to get one letter. I'm like, oh no, I missed it. You have to go right back around and you have to go through the lowercase and you gotta, (laughs) that's how we used to text. Like kids don't understand what we went through right just to do a smiley face like i had to like you know and so i remember this one time and this girl we were just friends and and it was a good day we were, you know she's like how you doing i'm doing good i was in student government no big deal i got voted in by my classmates i'm sitting in student government you know i'm i'm passing legislation for the legislation for the school and making a difference you know not really um and then i'm getting a text and she texts me she says hey I like you, smiley face. I'm like, cool. Text her back three years later. Hey, I like you too, smiley face. And then my phone buzzes and uh, I read it and she says, April fools, ha ha. (laughs) I looked at the date and realized it was April 1st and I was like, we are not friends anymore. Like, we are not friends. This is just a picture of my life, and I find that, like, it's funny how relationships on earth are so complicated, right? Even in marriage, I'm married now, and I grew up with all boys, you know, so I am now living with a woman, and I don't understand women at all. Like, I'll say something, and, you know, down, down, down the road we'd be driving, and I'm like, hey, are you doing good? Yeah, I'm fine. Oh, doesn't sound like you're fine. No, I'm good. I'm like, okay. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm like, oh, I'm, I, I don't know. And I'm like, forgive me. Please. It's complicated, right? It's complicated. Relationships are complicated. But I think and I find that actually the relationships that the most complicated is, is us and God. I think if we had a relationship status, most of us would put our relationship status with God as it's complicated, it's complicated. I know he loves me, I know that he cares for me, I know he died for me, but you know, me and God, it's kinda, it's complicated, it's complicated. It's interesting that in this passage of scripture we read in Acts 17, the reason I love it is because Paul is addressing a new group of people here. He's not addressing Jews who've grown up with the law and know the, you know, 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 know the word and know the Bible and know all these things. He's addressing philosophers of this age and he's addressing these intellectual people who are discussing and debating the philosophies of life and what is life about. They would spend every single day in this place in Athens and they would debate what the philosophy of life was. What is life about? What is this for? What are we living for? They would discuss, discuss the philosophies of who God was and what God was and how do you reach God and how do you attain God? How do you meet with God? And, and, and they would do this day after day after day and yet he walks up and he says, as he begins his argument to these intellectual studied people from the universities, he says, hey, I, I was walking through your city and, and your, the inscriptions on your idols say, to and I. Unknown God. So what does that show us? They could debate. They could have all this intellectual, you know, intelligence and intellectual knowledge about philosophies. And yet still they did not know who God was. They still would say it's, it's kind of complicated. So we had two major beliefs in this day. We had, we had one that's called Epicureanism. And this was the belief that 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 pleasure was life's greatest good and great and and, and life's God. It was pleasure. It was is what you could gain. It's what you could attain. It's what you enjoyed. It's it was living for comfort. It was living for feeling. It was living for material things. And and to them, it was their truth was their God. There was no God. God did not exist to this belief system. Their God was their truth. This is my God. This is what I believe. This is my truth and my truth is my God. You can't tell me any different because it's my truth. It's what pleases me. It's what makes me feel good. It's what makes me feel right. And it was this belief that it was my truth is my God. My, my, my pleasure is my God. It's what I can gain. It's what I can attain. It's what I can reach. And on this side, it's stoicism. And stoicism believed that there was a God somewhere out there that that, that birthed the earth and and created things, but he was far off. He was distant. He was unattainable, unreachable, unrelational. And it was about their ethics. They said their ethics was their God. If I could do good, I can get good. And I can find God by my effort, by my action, by trying to do better. I'm not going to live for pleasure. I'm not going to do those things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a good person and follow the laws and the rules of ethics. So on this side, they say, no, 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 there is a God somewhere. And if you're not living right and you're living for your truth, you're not going to reach him. And over here, they're saying there is no God. My God is my truth. It's what I want. It's what I feel. It's my comfort. It's my pleasure. It's my money. It's my, it's my career. All of these things. That's my God. And they, they would debate day after day after day and they would present their case. On one side, it was their ethics were their God and their, their effort was their guide. And it's what they could do for this God that that, that 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 that's what they received this now somehow relationship equity with this far off spiritual, ethereal thing that was not relational or attain, uh, attainable. But it was all about what they could do for them. If I could be good, I can get good and, and, and I'll be all right. And over here, they're like, I don't care about doing good by nobody. I'm going to do good. For me, I'm going to do me. I'm going to find my truth. I'm going to find what feels good for me. And, and it's interesting to me because I think that these two arguments are very present in today's culture. Very present. Even in the church. It's interesting that we see this ancient debate is happening today. This is not an ancient problem. This is not just something that happened in ancient Greece and Athens. This is happening today. We have people under the belief that it's my truth is, is my God. I, whatever I feel is right is right. We have now redefined what truth is. We redefine what, 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 what is right and what is wrong based off our feelings, based off our emotions, based off our impulses, based off our desires. And all of these things now have become our God. So on one side, we live for comfort. So it may not be as extreme or you're just living for your truth, but your truth has now become your comfort. We live to be comfortable. We, 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 we always look for the right job so we can be comfortable, and we try to buy the house, and we want the car, and we want the family, and we want this, and we want that, and we want the status, all of this stuff. And it's what we can gain. It's what we can attain. And we're sitting here saying, I just want to get comfortable. And if I can get comfortable, then I can find who God is in that place. But God never promised comfortability. God never promised this thing where this is what we can gain or attain. But on this side, we maybe we, we go to church and we know God, but we're trying to now build up a relationship equity with a God that we feel maybe isn't a relational or attainable or reachable. And so we're sitting here saying it's complicated because we feel like we're doing a good job and we're trying to do the right things and we're trying to give and we're trying to attend church and we're trying to say the right things and do the right things. And yet we still feel like we don't. Don't know God there's these two arguments and there's always this tension on one side we're like oh I, I, pastor come on it's the truth my truth God can't tell me how I feel God can't tell me what I feel about me and my identity and my my this and my that and and it, you know I, God's cool but, and we are okay with God until it changes or it comes against our truth. We are okay with the concept of God. We are okay with the things of God until it comes in, in, in rivalry or contention with our truth. And then we're like, no, nah, I don't know about that. I'm not sure if that, that's God wants. God's progressive. God's changing. God's doing this. But it, He's not. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we see this two opposing arguments. And it's interesting because we look in an ancient time and it's a very present, it's presently relatable. We can relate to this. I don't think the problem of us knowing God is, is, is us wanting to know him. I actually think the problem of us knowing God is to know God means we have to be known by God. And to know someone in the Greek is on a real, relational, deep level. So I don't think our problem is us knowing God. I think our, our first issue is we don't want to be known by God. We don't want God to see our deepest, darkest, intimate failures and mistakes and our slip-ups and the family we come from. And, and we're kind of like, you know what? I, I, I don't know if God will accept this. I don't know if I want to be known by him. I don't know if I want him to see the, the trouble in our marriage. I don't know if I want him to see the, the difficulty I'm having parenting my kids. Or I don't know if I want to see him how where I'm at work and I'm trying to live for him. But I don't know. I don't know. But the thing is this. It's, we, we are already known by him. So we need to eliminate this fear of being known by God. Because guess what? He already knows you. He knows your faults. He knows your slip-ups. He knows your mistakes. He knows the circumstances that you're struggling. He knows the areas that that maybe you've fallen short. And he says, I still love you. We see in Psalms 139, it says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down. You know when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path, my lying down, and, and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before the words are on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind before and you lay your hand upon me. God has been there in your past. He's with you in your present and he has already been there in your future. He already knows you and he is hemming you in. He is bringing you in and he says, I love you. I love that verse. Why? Because he already knows the words you're gonna speak before you speak them. So when you cut somebody out on the 405, guess what? God already knew it. Before you did it. He knew before you even did it. And yet he's still like, hey, it's okay. I love you. I still got a plan for you. Still got a purpose for you. Still got something for you. Here I am. I've been with you in your past when you messed up. I'm with you in your present and your struggle. And I'm going to be with you way long down the road. And I've got a plan for your problems. I've got you. Let's go. So we've already now established that God knows us. That, that God is already acquainted with all of our ways. So now how do, we, how do we get to know God? This is the question I want to pose to you today. How do we, as human beings, as created, get to know our creator? I think this is the question that, that a lot of us ask and we wouldn't even be willing to admit it. We come to church saying, I just want to know God. And on one side, we're just we really like our comfortability. We don't like when we being, being stretched outside the comfort zone, being stretched outside what's our truth and what feels good and what feels right and, and our desires and our wants. And and if it comes in contrast to what with what God is asking us, we we are we are out. We will only go this far. We will only go with what we desire, with what we want, with what makes us feel comfortable. And on the other side, we are trying to get to know God by our effort and our ethics. We're trying to get to know God by building up relationship equity that we can do good to get good. And one day we can build up enough equity to cash in a favor and say, "Okay, God, now I need that miracle. Now I need that financial blessing. Now I need you to do this. But that's not how things work. God does not owe us anything. He already gave us everything. So we live in this tension of trying to get to know our creator. God knows us. He's acquainted with all of our ways. But do we know God? Or is our answer when someone says, do you know God? We're like, "Uh, mm." it's complicated. It's complicated. But you go to church every week. Yeah, but it's complicated. But you watch that preacher on YouTube. Yeah, it's pretty good, but but it's complicated. It's complicated. Because I think if we were honest, if we were real, if we were vulnerable, each each and every one of us in this room have felt this very feeling of, do I actually know God? Do I actually know God? We hear every week, we talk about relationship. We talk about connection. We talk about this this, this journey with God. And and I think a lot of us, we would sometimes say, "Um, I don't even know if I know him. I think he knows me, but I don't know if I know him. And we're trying to approach it in one of these two categories and and, and Paul begins to address it head on and saying, Hey, if we look at this, it's not working. Over here, you're living for comfort, living for desire, living for pleasure, you still don't know God. It's not working. We've got to try something different. Over here, trying to build up a relationship equity with your ethics and your effort and all this, obviously, it's not working. Because God, the, the creator of heaven and earth, he, he, he still wants to know you and yet you're trying and you're trying and you're trying and yet you, you still don't. And he says, hey, it's, it's obviously not working. Let's try a new strategy. So he gives us a strategy on how to, how to get to know God. Because I don't think it's complicated on God's part. I think we complicate something that God actually made very simple. This is what's interesting. We think that God's the one complicating it. We think God is the one Like that girl texting me, J.K., April Fool's Day, LOL, don't like you, (laughs) ha, ha, ha. In fact, we're doing that to God. God, I want to get to know you. God, I want to meet, I want to meet you. I want you to speak in my life. Hey, you need to stop doing that. J.K., LOL, April Fool's, (laughs) ha, 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 ha. It's okay, I'm all right. Thanks, God, hey, hey, come on, we're friends, right? Yeah, we get it, you get it, he gets it. That's how we are with God. It's not God being the one who's muddying the water, it's us. God's like, hey, I need you to actually rely on my spirit and not on your effort. Oh, okay, God, all right, all right, all right. Yeah. Okay, no. Hey, hey, can you, can you adjust this? So how, how, how do we get to know God? Three things real quick. In nine minutes in Jesus' name, So now that we know that we're known, how do we get to know the unknown? The first thing is to seek God. It says that they sought God. Seek is to search, to desire for. I like to put it this way, a want to. God will not, we will not know God if you have to know God. If it's coming from a place of obligation or have to, it's not gonna happen. God does not relate to have to. God does not relate to obligation or religion. God relates to a desire of, I I want to. And I would say this, you're in church at 5 p.m. on a Sunday night on 4th of July week. Guess what? I think you're doing pretty good on that. I think you want to know God. Amen. Give yourself a round of applause. (laughs) Amen. Sometimes we, we beat ourselves up. I don't know if I want it. No, I think you do. You're here. You're making this effort. It doesn't take a lot. God's not wanting you to have this major desire. It's just a little. All it takes is a little. It's as faith of a mustard seed. And God says, you can say to that mountain, be cast into the sea, and it'll be cast into the sea. So while God is looking at you, he's saying this. He's saying, hey, if you are, doesn't matter how far you're running away from me, if you just stop and turn around, you're gonna realize I'm right here. Seeking God and wanting to God is not having to sprint back to him. It's just in your dead sprint, turning around and realizing he was chasing you the whole time. That is all God needs from you. You cannot outrun the love and the grace of God. It is not a race you will win. You can run and you can sprint away from it. But God is saying, when you turn around, I'm going to be right there. When you get to the point in your life and saying, this isn't working for me, I'm living for my comfort, yet I'm still uncomfortable. God says, just turn around, just turn around. Oh God, this isn't working. I'm trying my best to do good, to get good, yet I'm still unsatisfied. Turn around, turn around, turn around. The seeking is the want to. God cannot, cannot relate to have to. He can't. He's a good God. See, if it was a have to, guess what that would be? That would not be real love. If my wife had to love me, That's not very securing. I'm not very secure in that. I just have to love you, okay? I'm like, oh, that'd be the worst. She's like, you know, right now I don't like you, but I love you. Or I love you, but I don't like you. I don't know how it goes. Whatever. Sometimes we think that God's like, I know you don't want to love me right now, but you're going to gonna love me right now man that's like the worst relationship ever that's not how God relates what makes God good is that he allows you to choose whether you want to or not that's what makes God good that's what real love is it says I will allow you to choose but if it's coming from a place of I have I guess I have to I'm I'm just I have to do it just for my family I just have to I guess I have to go to church just for the kids, you know? That's what I'm doing. That's, I'm sorry, but that, 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 that's not what God intended for this relationship. Yes, he wants you to be a good example to your kids. Yes, he wants you to be in church. Yes, he wants you to have your kids in church. But what's more important to him than that is that you are saved and you are connected to him. That's what he cares about. Because if we are genuinely connected to God, guess what? They're going to be an example to those who follow us and say, if that's what a connection to God is, that's what I want. We see that in, in, in Luke it says, "You ask and you will be given to you. You seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. Whoever seeks finds. Whoever knocks, it is open." What father among you, if a son asks for a fish, you instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for able, give him egg, give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? God's good. If you want it, guess what? He's saying, "I'm here." And the Holy Spirit is the agent that helps us get to know God. When we say, I want to know you, he said, here's the Holy Spirit. This is my spirit. Get to know me. Get to know me. Get to know me. If my one-year-old son, who was in the front earlier. If he said, dad, I, I really, really, really want to go to Disneyland. And I'm like, okay, we're going to go to medieval times instead. <laughs> Nothing wrong with medieval times. I love it. But my thing is this. If my son asked me to go to Disneyland, I'm going to work as hard as I can to get him to go there why because I love him how much more is our heavenly father who is desperately in love with us who sent his son and said God I need to know you he's not going to be like I don't know (laughs) he's gonna be like come please I've been waiting for you to turn around I've been waiting for you to have the want to we have too many people who have a have to spirit with God I guess I have to so we're standing over here. I, I, I guess I just, I just go to church because I have to, man. No. I go to church because I want to. And even more than that, I need it. I need it. I need community to sustain me. I need an encounter with the Holy Spirit to revive me. I need it. I don't just have to. I, I really, really want to. Number two gotta hurry. Four minutes. In Jesus' name, there's a grace upon my life right now. Number one is, is you gotta seek. You gotta, you gotta have a want to. Number two is you submit. Some of us, the reason we struggle to get to knowing God is because we're not willing to submit some things to him. We maybe have a want to, but then when the want to hits the Holy Spirit convicting us, we're kind of like, yeah, not that area. I don't want to give that up. It says, perhaps feel your way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far off from each and every one of us. God is not far, but he is close. What activates the already existing grace of God in our life is complete submission to his purpose. It says this in James 4, it says, but he gives more grace, therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Humility and submission to God is what draw you near to him. It's not about being perfect. It's about being convinced that God is who he says he is and that he is good. That even when he speaks to something that maybe you're comfortable in doing, it may not even be sin. But God is saying, hey, I need you to actually, uh, I need you to, to leave this business. I got some. I want you to start your own business. Somebody in this room, God is asking you to start your own business and he has for a while. He's saying, it's time. And because we're comfortable here, it's not a sin. But we have found now a block in the voice of God because he's already spoken what we need and what he wants from us. But because we didn't like it, so all right, next, next. It's not like your iPod where you just skip to the next thing. God is waiting for you to obey until he gives you what Next. So sometimes we're like, ah, Pandora, I need to skip that song. Don't like it. No, God's like, no, you can't. You're out of skips. You got to obey. So sometimes we're sitting here and we're like, God, I, I need to know you. I need to hear from you. He's like, you already heard from me. You already heard. Hey, that relationship you're in, that, that's, not, that's not your spouse. It's time, time. Hey, that addiction you have that no one knows about. I'm not beating you up. I'm not, ju- I'm, not, I'm not condemning you, but this is conviction saying, hey, that's holding you back. That's holding you back. But hey, it's comfortable. I know, but, but it's time to get a little uncomfortable. It's time to lay that down. Hey, that insecurity, that fear, that anxiety, this, this worry, this holding on to financial. Hey, I, I, you know I, I don't know about tithing. Have you seen those people on TV that misuse it and all this stuff? I don't know. What are they going to do with my money? God's saying, no, no, it's not about them. Get out of here with that. When have I, I didn't ask you to give to them. I'm asking you to give to me. This isn't a ploy for you to just give to an organization. It's a ploy to you obey the laws of God and saying, God's speaking. And he's saying, here is what you need. When we read our word, there's promises and God speaks. And there may be some things that challenge our truth. There may be some things that challenge our comfortability. There may be some things that we don't like to hear it. But it's good. My one-year-old son does not like it when I pick him up and don't let him go in the baptismal outside. But he can't swim. Would I be a good dad to say, go ahead, Rio, figure it out. Go ahead, slugger. Love you, man. Good luck swimming. He's won. That's somehow we want God to do that with us. We're headed for what we know is a disaster. And God is saying, don't go there. I have a scripture for you. If you want some scripture, come on in Jesus name. When the Israelites were going out of Egypt, it says that God led them away from the easier path because they weren't ready for the battle. The Red Sea was not the easiest way to get to the promised land. But God knew the battle that was waiting over here, they weren't ready for, they wouldn't make it. So there's some things that when God speaks, he's actually saving you from. There's heartbreak he's saving you from. There's financial loss that he's saving you from. There's bitterness he's saving you from. There's brokenness what he's saving you from. And he's just saying, I know it's uncomfortable in the moment, but can you just submit this to me? Can you submit that you are not in control of your religion or your status with me? Can you submit that I did everything for you? Over here, it's like, nah, God, I don't know. I still got to be better, right? Yeah, I make you better. It's not about you making you better. Let my Holy Spirit take control. We've got to submit some things. Number one is we've got to to, to know God as we've got to understand that it has to come from a want to. God does not relate to. Have to. Number two, maybe we want it, but only to an extent we don't want to submit some things. We're not willing to give some things up when he speaks. We're not willing to to let it go. And number, number three is this, and this is where I finish. Number three is we have to learn how to stride and we have to learn how to stand with God. Now, those seem like two opposing thoughts, right? To stride is to walk and to move and to stand is to be still. But in order to stride with God, You have to know where you stand with God. See, I think some of us we try to walk with God. So we're we're saying this, we're saying, okay, God, I I want it. God, whatever you say, I'll submit it. But then we can't walk with Him. Why? Because we, we don't know where we stand with Him. We don't understand that it's already set where we stand with God. We think that we're in this constant rat race of trying to 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 attain this relationship with God. And so we think our striding is striving. We turn striding and walking with God into striving and trying to and trying to, to, to appease God with our effort. But God says, no, that's not how it works. To walk with God with the process is becoming more like Him, we live, we move and breathe and have our being. This is what Paul was saying. This is the essence of what we need from God. This is what he was trying to get to in this argument of philosophers and intellectuals. He's saying you need to get to a point where God is the person you live with. God is the person you breathe with. God is the person that in your very essence of who you are that is the spirit of the living God we see in 2nd Timothy chapter 3 it says every word in scripture is God breathed." that when we read scripture we are taking a spiritual inhaler and we're taking it to the asthma of our soul we're saying help me God I need some breath we learn to breathe with God we learn to walk with God but in order to stride we have to know where we stand and where. Did, how does this whole passage finish up It says, don't you know that you are all his children? Don't you know that you are all his children? God is not mad at you, but he's madly in love with you. You are his child and nothing can change that. Jesus has put you in a place, in a position with God that he is looking at you, and when you give your heart to him, he doesn't see your past, he doesn't see your shame, he doesn't see your hurt, he doesn't see the things you've fallen short, he sees his son, he sees you are my son, you are my daughter, you are my child, and if earthly fathers know how to give good gifts, how much more is my heavenly father trying to give you the Holy Spirit, learn where you stand with God, he is not constantly looking at your mistakes, in the times that you try to do better, to get better, and to build up this relationship of equity, or if you're leaving for your comfort, he's not saying, oh, you're doing wrong there, He's just waiting for you to turn around and say, God, I need you. God, I I give you everything. And in that place, you can walk with him. You can talk with him. You can become like him. And that's how our character begins to change. That's how our thinking begins to change. That's how our living begins to change. Not of effort, but by compliance and, and, and walking with the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were blessed.